The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now.
There you have it, our very own Imperial Correlator singing the, uh, the Israeli national anthem this past uh, Sunday. Hatikva is the name of that, uh, that song. And uh, they were singing it at the very start of the grand opening ceremony, uh, introducing the Kingdom of David and Solomon exhibit. We had a live stream of that going right around the world as well. On today's show, we're going to be we're going to be talking to who used to he used to be our Jerusalem correspondent, but we're going to be talking to Brent Noctegal. Uh, he's in the studio to discuss the exhibit, and we've also got lots of special treats for you uh, as well from the exhibit this past Sunday. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. You can get to the live stream of this show at trumpetdaily.com or at the Rumble channel, rumble.com forward slash Trumpet Daily. So, Mr. Noctegal, you, you were in Jerusalem for eight years. You've actually been on this program a few times uh, and just recently relocated to this campus, to Edmond, Oklahoma. Yeah, just, just five weeks ago, we set foot on the campus and it, it ended up being a really crucial time and as we gave the final push towards the, the start of this exhibit that's located on campus. Um, the last three or four weeks before Sunday were very busy. Um, but we were really happy to be here and, and put our own hands into this process of finalizing the exhibit. Right. Well, I know the, the exhibit curator, Brad McDonald, is very appreciative that you were here at that uh, critical time. And I know everybody put in a lot of overtime these past few weeks just to get everything, not just up and running in the lobby of Armstrong Auditorium, but also online and with the 3D virtual tour and all that. So uh, we appreciate it. And I know there were thousands of people that were appreciative of it mm -hmm. on uh, Sunday as well. What we have scheduled for today's show, we've got some uh, segments from the uh, grand opening or this, this, the opening ceremony from this past uh, Sunday. We, we won't, just to let you know up front, we won't be playing my father's keynote address. That's reserved for his program, The Key of David. But we do have some other special speakers that we'll be introducing to you uh, today and uh, and also uh, we'll have a discussion at the end of the show just to encourage you if you can't make it to Edmond, Oklahoma to visit the exhibit over the next many months uh, hopefully you can at least get online or get some of our publications and uh, familiarize yourself with the kingdom of David and Solomon discovered to begin with we're going to I mentioned Brad McDonald the curator of the exhibit. We're going to cut away to his address uh, opening the ceremony on Sunday. Good afternoon and welcome. Shalom Eratov to our friends in Israel. We're delighted that you could join us on this very special occasion. The grand opening of the Kingdom of David and Solomon discovered archaeological exhibit. This exhibit would not be possible without the support and collaboration of some very special people and institutions whom I want to sincerely thank. First, we are very grateful to the Israel Antiquities Authority, particularly Dr. Orit Shamer, for sharing these precious and wonderful artifacts with us. A tremendous amount of work went into preparing these items to travel all the way to America and to be displayed in our exhibit. And we're incredibly grateful. A big thank you too to Israel Museum of Jerusalem for loaning us three very special items, the shrine model from Kerbet Kiefer, the Hilkiah Bulla, and the Teldan Steeler replica. 
this exhibit, is, uh, sorry, this is the, uh, the first time that we've worked with Israel Museum and uh, we've enjoyed the experience very much and we hope we can collaborate on some future projects. We'd also like to thank Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Many of the artifacts displayed in this exhibit come from excavations led by Hebrew University. They are one of our longest and closest friends in Israel. Our history excavating and working together in Jerusalem stretches all the way back to 1967. We'd also like to thank Daniel and Meredith Mintz, both of whom are here with us today. The Mintz family funded nearly all of Dr. Alat Mazar's excavations on the Ophel, but even more important than the funding, Daniel and Meredith gave Dr. Mazar years of moral support and warm friendship, and we know that she needed and appreciated that very much. Finally, a big thank you to the exhibit team here at Armstrong Auditorium, the artists and designers, the writers and editors, the engineers and custodians, the whole exhibit family. Everyone worked extremely hard to make this possible. And I think together we have created something important and very, very special. This exhibit celebrates the illustrious and monumental history and archeology span of David and Solomon, Israel's two greatest kings. As you tour the exhibit, you will notice the jigsaw puzzle motif. We did this because the history of David and Solomon is like a jigsaw. There is more than just one piece of evidence revealing the nature of David and Solomon's kingdom. Several pieces of evidence attest to the monumental nature of 10th century Israel, from inscriptions like the Tel Dan Stela to monumental buildings, from beautiful textiles from Timna to the slightly less beautiful slag and sea snails, from shrine models to pottery and much, much more. For the first time ever, the various pieces of the David and Solomon puzzle have been collected and pieced together to create one sensational exhibit, one that presents the fullest possible picture of David and Solomon. More archeology span shedding light on these kings will undoubtedly be uncovered in the future. But for now, this is what we have. In a way, this exhibit has been building for almost 60 years. You can say it began in 1968, when Herbert W. Armstrong, an international humanitarian and educator, and the namesake of our institute, joined with Professor Benjamin Mazar and Hebrew University to initiate the Big Dig, a massive archeological excavation on the Ophel in Jerusalem. For 20 years, Mr. Armstrong su su supported excavations on the Ophel and in the City of David and several other projects around Jerusalem. Mr. Armstrong deeply loved Israel, Jerusalem, and biblical archeology. span And Israel loved Mr. Armstrong. 
He met with and was good friends with several of Israel's leaders and officials, including President Zelman Shazar, Prime Minister Golda Meir, Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, Prime Minister Menachem Begin, Prime Minister Yitzhak, Yitzhak Navon, President Hertog, and Prime Minister Shimon Perez. On his visits to Jerusalem, Mr. Armstrong would often be seen walking the city arm in arm with Mayor Teddy Kollek. Today, Gerald Flurry and the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology continue the work and legacy of Mr. Armstrong in Jerusalem. It was our honor and pleasure to support Hebrew University and the late Dr. Elat Mazar on her important excavations in the city of David and on the Ophel. And today we continue our archeology span in Jerusalem, working alongside Hebrew University and Professor Uzi Liebner and Professor Yosef Garfinkel. Together with Dr. Mazar, with Daniel and Meredith Mintz, with Hebrew University, with the Antiquities Authority, and all of our friends in Israel, the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archeology span has completed some really important projects in Jerusalem. And we look forward to completing many more. So that's Brad McDonald, the curator of the uh, Kingdom of David and uh, Solomon Discovered. He's been working uh, overtime these past many weeks and uh, was really excited to see uh, everything come together as smoothly uh, as it did. We had help from uh, other people as well, even from Israel. Perhaps you could explain a little bit about that to us, Brent. Yeah, so these artifacts, they do belong to the state of Israel. We have them here on loan. So there's a bit of a process to try and get them all the way to Oklahoma. So we worked with two individuals. Um, the main person we worked with, the head of the Foreign Exhibitions Department at the Israel Antiquities Authority, that was uh, Dr. Orit Shamir. Uh, she reached out to us over a year ago, and since we had done previous exhibits, she thought it'd be a wonderful opportunity to bring a third exhibit to Armstrong Auditorium. And so she was really behind the scenes working with us, selecting the artifacts, what would be the most appropriate, and then the process overseeing that the conditions we have here, the security, the humidity levels, things like that are going to make sure that the artifacts themselves are preserved. So she came over as the courier uh, of the artifacts with these big crates. She went on a freight flight and then another, another uh, international flight to mm -hmm. Dallas and then they were driven up with her. And then we also had uh, Dr. Um, Perkhir Ayal. She is the curator of the Israel Museum Jerusalem for the Persian periods and the Iron Age. So this period including the time period of King David and Solomon. And so this was the first time actually as opposed to the other two exhibits where we went to the Israel Museum and asked them for some items that are on their permanent display. And we got a few very important items uh, from them and then she acted as the representative of the Israel Museum here uh, for the opening as well. So two delightful uh, ladies really helped out with us with the final touches of making sure the artifacts were in the right places as well, giving their expertise as being curators themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, so absolutely splendid to have them here with us. We've grown now in our friendship and um, we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, so the two speeches that you'll hear now, um, the first one is by uh, Dr. Perkhir Ayal from the Israel Museum, and then directly following that will be Dr. Orit Shamir of the Israel Antiquities Authority. Good afternoon, Mr. Gerald Foley, the founder of the Armstrong International Culture Foundation and honest guest. 
I'm glad to be here today at the opening of the new archaeology exhibit, The Kingdom of David of Solomon Discover, at the Amazon International Carter Foundation. And I'm proud to be the representative of the Israel Museum Jerusalem as a creator in the Iron Age and Persian period department in the archaeology wing. Until the 90s, in the last century, there was a debate about the existence of Kingdom of David and Solomon. But since the Tel Dan Stila was discovered, the answer has become clear. Some scholars continue to claim that the kingdom was quite small, but the artifacts from Hirbet Kayafa disprove this claim as well. I'm pleasure to lend to this exhibit those important artifacts. The shrine of model from Hirbet Kayafa, the one-by-one -one replica of Tel Dan, Stella, and the bula of Yozarach, son of Hilkiyahu, straight from the permanent display of the Israel Museum, Jerusalem. The exhibit of Kingdom of David and Solomon discovered tell us about an ancient kingdom that exists in the 10th century BC in the land of Israel a powerful kingdom with a trade throughout the region and a rich cultural life. A clear connection can be seen between the first Israel kingdom and the modern state of Israel connecting it. What is the first startup nation back then in the 10th century BC? I invite you to visit the exhibit and find it for yourself. I would like to express my gratitude to Brad McDonald the creator of the exhibit. Thanks to, to his persistence, we will be able to bring to this exhibit very important artifact from the Israel Museum permanent display and in order to enrich the exhibit. My thanks to Brad, Brand, and the entire institute staff who did everything to help me with any request related to the artifacts from the Israel Museum before I got here and during my stay here. Susan Landau, the director of the Israel Museum Jerusalem, and Chaim Gittler, the chief curator of the archaeology wing, also express their gratitude to the joint project and look forward to the future project we will create together. Thank you very much. Todaraba. Thank you. Dear Mr. Gerald Fleury, founder of the Armstrong International Cultural Foundation and honored guest, today we gather together to open the new archaeological exhibition, Kingdom of David and Solomon Discovered at the Armstrong Auditorium. My sincere thanks are due to Brent McDonald, curator of the exhibit, and to Brent for their helpful support. Their vision brought 50 artifacts dated to the 10th century BC from Jerusalem, Hurbat Kayafa, and Timna to this exhibition. Many of them are exhibited for the first time. Brad, Brent, and all the team, it has been a pleasure and honor working with you. We overcame all the challenges to bring this collection here, presenting excavations of Armstrong Institution and the Hebrew University. Elias Cusido, the director of the Israel Antiquities Authority, is sending his regards and says, 
the Antiquities Authority salutes and appreciates the Armstrong Institute for your work to study the archaeology of Israel and its assimilation. During the past 30 years, the Israel Antiquities Authority has organized successful short and long-term exhibitions worldwide. These exhibitions deal with different historical periods and various aspects of archaeology. Alongside our curators, many of our experts, archaeologists, conservators, photographers, and others are involved in the creation and preparation of our exhibitions. Many of these exhibitions were hosted by the most famous and prestigious museums and institutions worldwide. The next exhibition of the Israel Antiquities of 40 will begin in September at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, featuring a third century CE mosaic floor from Megiddo, which bears the oldest archaeological reference to Jesus Christ as God. In addition, in November, the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibition will be open at the Field Museum in Chicago and will then continue to other venues, and of course you are invited. But as for this exhibition opening today, I am very delighted to be here in person as a relative of the late Dr. Elat Mazar, who uncovered many of these artifacts on display. Since my expertise is also in ancient textiles, I am also very pleased to be able to present the 10th century BC colorful textiles from Timna Valley and the story of the royal purple. I hope you will enjoy your experience with the kingdom of David and Solomon. Thank you and Toda Rabba. So we have one more video segment from the grand opening uh, ceremony this past Sunday, and as it happens, it's from you. You, yep. uh, it's regarding an item that uh, that you researched and studied into. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was an area supervisor on Dr. Elot Mazar's excavations, and it's her excavations where a lot of these artifacts were coming from, and we're still going through this publication process of things found uh, on the dig back a decade ago, and. Um, uh, Avital Mazar Tsairi, which is Dr. Mazar's sister, uh, she asked me if I would like to do the study and the research into one very important uh, discovery from Jerusalem that has yet, was yet, uh, or up to Sunday, no one in the world had really known about. And mm -hmm. so it's just really a wonderful opportunity to present something from Jerusalem, from the time of David and Solomon, for the first time to the world uh, here in Oklahoma. So here is Brent Noctegal from the grand opening ceremony this past Sunday. Good afternoon, everybody, and good evening to our friends in Israel. Oftentimes in archaeology, uh, the very smallest of finds can tell the biggest of stories. And today I have the privilege to discuss one of these very small finds that's now in, on display in the Armstrong auditorium lobby. This is something that's never before been discussed with the public. If we could see the first slide. This is from 1 Kings 5 verse 1. And Haram king of Tyre sent his servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father, for Hiram was ever a lover of David. 
This passage speaks of a very close relationship between the Phoenician king of Tyre, a people that existed 3,000 years ago in the northwest coast of what is Israel today in modern-day Lebanon, and with the Davidic dynasty ruled from Jerusalem. At David's death, a delegation was sent to Solomon shortly thereafter, and Hiram sent cunning artificers, craftsmen skilled in metalworking and clothing manufacture. The next slide, please. These skilled Phoenician laborers worked in Jerusalem during the construction of Solomon's new royal quarter on Jerusalem's Ophel. This is that area south of the Temple Mount Wall and north of the city of David, kind of where you see that, um, the Ophel area where we dig, it's kind of where you see that corrugated, white corrugated roof that's no longer there. These skilled Phoenician laborers as the Bible would say, spent a lot of time in Jerusalem's royal quarter in this area. But now we have archaeological evidence of a 10th century Phoenician presence in Jerusalem as well. And this is through the discovery of a uniquely Phoenician basket pendant earring discovered on the Ophel. Next slide. The renewed Ophel excavations directed by the late Dr. Elot Mazar from Hebrew University began in 2009 until her last excavation season in 2018. The area had previously been excavated in the 1970s by Elot's grandfather, Professor Benjamin Mazar, former president of Hebrew University. Motivated by the encouragement of her grandfather, and thanks also to the generous support of, of uh, Daniel Mintz and Meredith Berkman, Elot was able to conduct multiple large-scale excavations in this area together with a large contingent of volunteers from Herbert W. Armstrong College, this campus right here. Many of you listening have had a chance to dig with her. During the 2012 excavation, I was a supervisor over Area B, this area, under Dr. Mazar. The dig lasted five months. During the final two months, we were mainly excavating iron 2A walls, fills, and and uh, floors, this is the time period related to David and Solomon. All through the excavation, Dr. Mazar, as we went down, insisted that every single layer that we got to that was dated to the Iron Age needs to be wet sifted. This is a painstaking process. Every single bucket of soil goes on that sieve, shake it, spray it with water. And this turns seemingly uh, little uh, pebbles or clumps of dirt, it reveals whether there's something more important. Now the responsibility of supervising kept me busy, and so I didn't know about this discovery that came from my area till about a decade later. <laughs> didn't get the memo. <laughs> the sifting's done in a slightly different area, we're busy working in the field, and they find what they find. And then it turned out that uh, just last year, while working in the office of Dr. Elot Mazar with Avital Mazar Tsairi, Dr. Mazar's sister, and a few others, we got out all the finds that haven't been published yet, and we saw this amazing pendant. It's tiny. <laughs> and yet, its intricate design, spectacular golden luster, it immediately arrested my attention when we found it. I picked it up, put it on my uh, palm of my hand just like that, and you're struck by how heavy it is. This basket pendant uh, is completely solid. Here's a drawing of it that was done recently in Jerusalem uh, by Maya Avni. 
it's just four millimeters by four millimeters by two millimeters at the base. You've got those parabolic bars that go from corner to corner and you have this beautiful gold wire around the bottom of the bar as it connects to the, to the top of the basket to hide the join. Just absolutely complex design for something so small. Now once we looked at this, nobody in the office knew what it was. <laughs> a beautiful piece of jewelry um, from the 10th century Jerusalem, but what is it? We're not sure, we'll get back to it later. Then in May last year, I was, had some extra time on my hands in the office and I came across a book by Dr. Amir Golani of the Antiquities Authority. That book uh, entitled Jewelry from the Iron Age to Levant. And I wondered as I was flipping through it whether our piece of jewelry might have a parallel. Another one that is found elsewhere that could give us a clue as to its function. This is on page 243 of his book. And you can see there a number of these basket pendants, slightly different, and yet they're obviously of similar type. And then the map that might be a bit faint, this is the Mediterranean Sea with different Phoenician sites at the locations throughout the Mediterranean where these basket pendants had been found previously. Obviously, knowing 1 Kings 5, I got pretty excited uh, at this moment. So I took it to Amir Golani at the Antiquities Authority. He's gonna be actually co-writing the final report uh, chapter in, in uh, the scientific study with me on this. I took it to him first. He said, this is definitely a Phoenician type. He thought it was probably later, but when I told him it's from the 10th century from Jerusalem, he was absolutely blown away as well. From there, I took it to uh, Nama Yalom Mack. She is a metallurgist and an archeologist at Hebrew University for a composition test. It came out that this is, uh, I'll give it to you exactly, 63% gold, 32% silver, and 5% copper. So this actually, another first, this is the oldest golden artifact ever found in Jerusalem. Even though it's so small, I told you it's special. <laughs> Thank you to those uh, scholars that knew more about this than I did and uh, could help us at uh, detailing what exactly this jewelry, piece of jewelry was. Following the example of Dr. Mazar, it's not, it's not possible to not consult the biblical text for a window into the larger context behind the, behind the historical setting for the location, date, and appearance of this Ophel Electrum basket pendant in Jerusalem. Electrum is just an alloy of, of, gold and, of gold and silver. Based on typology alone, the box pendant is clearly Phoenician, likely worn by a Phoenician person, not traded. These are very personal items. It faces the front, so wherever you go, it's kind of something about yourself. As I said, they've only been found in exclusively in Phoenician sites where Phoenicians had colonies throughout the Mediterranean. So from all of that and its archeological context, the 10th century dated separately than the object itself and the place that it was found, Jerusalem's royal quarter, we have a lot that archeology span can tell us. But now we have also, putting it together with the Bible, we can say that we have this beautiful corroboration of the biblical text that would say that we have a story in the Bible from 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, that says, And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father, for he was ever a lover of David. We can say that based on the Bible and now archaeology, we have proof 
that this indeed did take place. Sadly, a lot is not here to witness the announcement of this discovery. This was a photo of, of me and her on the last excavation she worked on in 2018. But this was made as a result of her efforts. A lot was not only an expert on Jerusalem, she also had a love for the Phoenician. She was a Phoenician specialist, the Phoenicians. Her PhD was on the Phoenicians at Hebrew University. The only other site she ever excavated, as far as getting a director's license, was the site of Aksiv, a Phoenician site on the coast of northern Israel. And so it's fitting today that we remember her, and we're very pleased that at the opening of the King David and Solomon discovered, discovered exhibit, that in honor of Dr. Elot Mazar, we announce the discovery of the Ophel Electrum basket pendant, the best evidence so far we have that Phoenicians themselves were present in Jerusalem during the 10th century BC. So all of those messages were from the grand opening ceremony, uh, introducing the kingdom of David and Solomon discovered to the world. If you'd like to uh, learn more or read more about the ceremony or anything else associated with this exhibit, just go to armstronginstitute.org. So Brent, we are here with you today. We appreciate you joining us on the show. Maybe uh, to start the discussion, you could just give us a little bit of history on the previous exhibits that we've sponsored at Armstrong Auditorium and how it led up to where we are today. Yeah, so the, the exhibits um, that we've had here, we had a direct hand in the discovery of the objects, which is one of the main reasons um, that they ended up here in the middle of Oklahoma, which some people might be surprised by. Uh, the, first, the first exhibit centered on the time period of Jeremiah the prophet, and the two artifacts that were most important from that exhibit, uh, which was done back in 20, 2010, and it stayed here for a year or so, um, they were two seal impressions uh, of two figures that are mentioned in the Bible that were found in the excavations of Dr. Elot Mazar in the city of David. Uh, they are mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 38 as being the ad two of the four adversaries of Jeremiah the prophet that were actually responsible for him being put in prison at the time that Jerusalem fell, finally, when it was destroyed. Um, so actually, I just remember the phone call with Dr. Mazar asking her, we want to do an exhibit, and is it possible that we could get you know, these two, no, I just said a bullet, a seal impression, not the ones that were related to these biblical figures. And um, she said, well, which bullet do you want? And at that point in the conversation, I was like, well, here's a, here's a, this is going better than I thought. And then she suggested, well, do you want the, the Judean princes? And I said, well, if that was possible, that would be absolutely phenomenal if we could get those. And so she agreed. And we were the ones that showed them to the world for the very first time. Two people, again, from the 2,600 years ago, from the time period of Jeremiah. Absolutely phenomenal. Mentioned in the same verse. And then it was about five years later, and another discovery had been unearthed on the Urfil excavation, so just up from the city of David where the other two seal impressions were found. Mm -hmm. And the critical discovery then was the seal impression of not a prince of Judah or a minister of Judah, but the king of Judah himself. This was King Hezekiah, right. son of Ahaz, king of Judah. That's what his personal seal impression uh, says. And so we, at that point, asked Dr. Mazar, could we have that and do another exhibit? She was all for it, but at that time, the uh, Israel Museum 
um, wanted it. I mean, this is the first time that a king of Judah has ever been found in archaeological excavation. Uh, and so they want, understandably so, uh, in their museum, the seal impression. However, after a year or so, they still hadn't prepared the exhibit that where it would be housed. And they contacted us and said, hey, what do you think? You, do you want it for three months or so? And then as long as it comes back to us, we jumped at it. We said, absolutely, yes, right. we will. But at the same time, as there was a delay, of course, from when that one came out to the public, we knew about a second seal impression that was about to be released that very week that we heard from the Israeli Museum. And that was the seal impression of Isaiah the prophet. Right. This, you know, these two, two individuals mentioned together in the Bible over 20 times. Right. And so Dr. Mazar said, well, if they're going to give you the Hezekiah one, she wrote to the Antiquities Authority and said, you've got to take Isaiah as well. And so that was kind of the theme of our second exhibit, King Hezekiah and Isaiah and the battle with Sennacherib, the Assyrian king right. that's mentioned in three different books of the Bible. Yeah. So you can see that there was a gradual, well, maybe not gradual, but it's an increase in importance oh, of yeah. these. <laughs> it just got bigger and bigger. Bigger and bigger. <laughs> and so when the Antiquities Authority asked us, we would like to do another exhibit with you at the start of last year, yeah. it was only logical then that we had to go one step higher, again, right. with the importance of biblical individuals. And if you think of who's, you know, what's the biggest biography in the Bible, at least in the Old Testament, who's that of? It's of King David. Right. And it's also this period that is most debated in archaeology as well. And so we asked, can we bring artifacts, 50 it ended up being, that relate specifically to the time period of King David and Solomon, the 10th century. And they were delighted to work with us at trying to find all these individual artifacts that would represent that time period. Right. So following on that, I mean, maybe you could also tell us how, why this exhibit is so unique? Yeah, so I would say up till 10 years ago, this exhibit would be impossible. Um, most of the discoveries that are featured in the exhibit have been discovered in the past 10 years. So it's all, we don't, we've got several that are appearing for the first time in a museum or a public setting, right. um, but most of them only were unearthed in the past 10 years as well, 10 to 15 years. And so from that standpoint, this is new information that's coming to the public that couldn't have been done before. It's also important to see the exhibit in the context of the debate over King David and Solomon. One of the items that we have is actually a replica, but it's a wonderful replica from, from the uh, Israel Museum. And this is of the Tel Dan Steeler, which is this discovery that kind of settled the debate in the academic world that whether King David was a real historical personality or not. This happened in 1993. It was discovered in Tel Dan in the north of Israel. And it was the first extra biblical reference to King David, mm -hmm. definitive reference. There's been yeah. others where people debate about it, but not this one. Whether you're an ultimate you know, Bible skeptic or you believe in the accuracy of the Bible, everyone came together to agree in 1993 and 4 that this mentions King David and the, the exact uh, wording on that inscription mentions the house of David. So this doesn't just say he was a king, but he was a king uh, that had a dynasty. That's what this word house can mean. Right. Um, so David's got a dynasty. And so from that point forward, from 1993 onwards, the argument then becomes, so David existed, but the Bible isn't an aggrandized version of this uh, maybe small town, small town uh, leader, David, that occupied you know, Jerusalem in the 10th century, or is there archeological evidence of the kingdom as the Bible would describe. Yeah. 
So, and leaving aside the artifacts, I mean, you said the Stila, that's 1993, and then a lot of what's in mm -hmm. our exhibit is from the past 10 years. Right. Brad McDonald was saying the other day how that just the story itself, there's a lot of resistance in higher education, and a lot of people would, a lot of museums probably, a, a lot of exhibits would probably even not care to get into this just because they do see it as something that's controversial. So that adds, I think, to just the uniqueness overall of what people can get if they visit this exhibit. Absolutely. For some reason in academia, there is this reticence to talk about King David and Solomon in the terms of the full, the full weight of what their own discoveries, the, the archaeology reveals. It's always on the minimalist side of, we found this and it might indicate that the biblical text was right on this one small point. Right. And so you have several archaeologists that are kind of talking about their own field of research where they have an artifact or an idea, a concept, a study that does back up a certain portion of the biblical text related to David and Solomon, but nobody has put it all together. And uh, the curator Brad McDonald had this idea of having this motif throughout the exhibit of a, of a jigsaw puzzle or pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and you can see them through the exhibit that individually they don't really tell a story. You know, unless you see the jigsaw puzzle completed, then you can see the whole picture. And so what we've done is, you know, using the Bible really as that picture of the jigsaw puzzle, revealing what happened in David and Solomon's time. We can look at those 80 years that they were the kings over, over Israel, and then we can pick certain events or certain um, events or what they built or you know their material culture that they had and match it up with different in instances of the Bible. So whether we're talking about the arch enemy of David and Solomon or David being the Philistine people, we give evidence of the Philistines from the same time of, as David and Goliath and where they lived and the evidence in those locations. Maybe it's the friends of, of David and Solomon, the Phoenicians. Mm -hmm. We give evidence of the Phoenician uh, kingdom in the 10th century um, as well. And then we go along giving more of the discoveries that helped date King David's time period as well, archaeology that's taken place over the past 15 years in this border area between Judah and the Philistines. And so what I like to say when I give a tour is that we're not actually presenting original research here. What we're doing is taking five or six Israeli scholars. I would say all of them actually aren't necessarily religious or they don't you know, wear a kippah or they, they show that outwardly. They're all scientists, highly respected mm -hmm. by everybody in their field. And what we do is we put them all together. We make them aware of each other. And then you see more of this complete picture, right. um, which is the first time this, is, this has ever been done. Right. You, we'll have to have Brad McDonald on later to talk about everything that we've done to mm -hmm. add to the artifacts, but maybe you could just... Uh, uh, give us a little bit of a uh, of, uh, background into, you know, like the Solomonic, uh, the replicas of the wall, the model, uh, even the storyboards, the some of the right. paintings and pictures. Uh, what can you tell us about that? So it's a very immersive experience. It's not just the artifacts themselves in a cabinet with a label kind of explaining what the artifact does. We right. put the story out there yeah. and then we show how the artifacts uh, indicate or identify with the biblical story. And um, so we have a lot of, yeah, obviously, some text uh, on there, um, but it's really distilled. And then we have options for people on the storyboards where they have a, a QR code or like a barcode that they can scan with their phone or even a reference to other material that people can go back to to get the science behind what we've claimed. Right. 
we want it to make it, it's not fair on somebody walking through this exhibit just taking our word for things. We do not want that. We want them to be able, if they want to dig further, to go and find the, the academic research behind our claims. Right. So we have that, as far as some of the artwork we did, uh, or the, uh, the 3D model of Jerusalem, you can't come to this exhibit and not just stand around this for about 10 or 15 minutes and admire not just the, the very accurate right. um, portrayal of Solomonic Jerusalem that it presents with the right topography uh, and the buildings and the city walls and where it is, relation, buildings related to each other, which is as accurate as any version or more accurate than any version I've ever seen. Um, and we had our Israeli uh, colleagues watch, looking at this. They want it in Israel. They want it for their museum, if, yeah. <laughs> if that was possible. Because it's just, if you haven't traveled there, it gives you an idea of where these things were that we talk about, the Palace of David, the Sol Solomonic Wall, these other things that have been found in archaeology, where they, where they would be situated anciently. So we have that. We also have some virtual reality as well, four different headsets that... We work with the City of David Foundation in, in, in Jerusalem to get um, virtual, uh, a virtual tour of the site as it exists today. So people can walk through the tourist site of Jerusalem in our exhibit with a, a set of goggles on. <laughs> We've got seats there so people can sit down instead of you know walking around right. <laughs> the auditorium, <laughs> bumping, into, bumping people. into people. So that's an element. Yeah. I saw two people uh, yesterday, they might've been 50, 55 in that age. They spent an hour on that, right. you know, so you could spend a lot of time just on that. So this is all outside the archaeology as well. So it's a very immersive yeah. uh, experience. And then, as far as the archaeological artifacts we have, we have a, a one cabinet that's full of items from a place called Kerbet Kayafa. If people are familiar with this debate, they'll know all about this site. It was excavated by Professor uh, Josef Garfinkel and Saar Ganor, a representative from the Antiquities Authority. Mr. Garfinkel is from the uh, Hebrew University. And this site changed the debate about King David because it's the only site that was built and destroyed in a very short window of time, the space of about 30 years. Mm -hmm. And the carbon samples and the pottery that, it that relate to that 30 years dates perfectly to King David's time. So when this excavation came around, just started in 2005, continued till 2013, now we had for the very first time a, a, a signature of Davidic material culture. What does pottery look like? What the metal objects look like? Um, what were the religious artifacts of the time? And we have all of those items. We have an ax head from his time period, uh, a, a, an arrowhead from his time period. Um, one of the, one of the most important artifacts we have that we got from the Israel Museum on loan. That's, this one's only here till August, since it's, this is a very important artifact for them. Uh, it's a model um, that's about 14 inches high, something like that. And it's got, it's from the 10th century, but it's got architectural elements on this model that match what exists on Solomon's palace and Solomon's temple. So it's not proof of Solomon's temple, but what it is, is it's proof of the architectural elements that are featured in the Bible. They're also on this model right. from the same time period or shortly before. So it shows that the Bible, when it's, it's giving a description of known architectural elements from the 10th century on this model. It's, it's incredibly important. We also have one artifact, um, the most important, I would say, or central artifact is the, uh, what's called the Pithos inscription. Um, this is the oldest bit of alphabetical writing that's ever been found in Jerusalem. Uh, it's here for the first time on display. Uh, it's an inscription of a, 
that was actually written in uh, not Hebrew, uh, not Phoenician. It's written in South Arabian script, modern day Yemen or the biblical land of Sheba. Uh, it's written from its dates to the 10th century, uh, both from the context in which it was found and the style of writing as well. And this was just new information that came forward last year by Dr. Daniel Weinstub of the University of Ben-Gurion. And he presented this inscription and said, it's not Canaanite like everybody thought as soon as it was discovered. It's actually this different language. And I've been studying this different language for the past six months. And I remembered this inscription that was found in the Ophel that nobody could really decipher. But looking at it as a South Arabian script, he was able to put together a few of the letters there. And it refers to one of the spices that were actually used in the temple worship, one of the, one of the spices that is native to the area of modern day Yemen or ancient Sheba as well. Mm-hmm. So putting this together, well, he put it together. He said, I've got a 10th century inscription and I've got writing on it that belongs to uh, Sheba and it's bearing spices. It's, it's talking about an amount of spices that were in this vessel. And you know, his Israeli, he knows the biblical story. First <laughs> Kings 10 right. talks about how Queen of Sheba, this area, came to Jerusalem. And what was she bearing? Bearing spices. Mm-hmm. And so he put it together like, and, it, and where it was found as well as the royal area of Solomon. Right. So again, just below where the temple was. So it's, it all comes together to match the biblical story very well. Yeah. So they're probably two of the main artifacts with the Kayafa um, objects. Um, I'm very partial to the, uh, to the gold pendant <laughs> right. as well. Um, so we have some very new artifacts from 3,000 years ago uh, here in Armstrong. Yeah. So for those that uh, live too far away, uh, tell, tell us about the, the virtual tour that they could take on uh, the website. This was so important to the curator um, to have this completed for the opening. It's a, a virtual tour of the entire exhibit. So the lobby area where all of the artifacts are, the storyboards, you can literally you know, go to armstronginstitute.org and scroll down a little bit and say virtual tour, right. click on that and it'll transport you to the lobby. Right. And you can move around and look this way and look that way and read all the text boards and look at all the artifacts. And what's great about this is you can go at your, your own pace. Um, you, you're not, you know, you've only got, you've got, you know, an hour and a half before you have to leave. You can read yeah. everything. You can click on the, the text boards and they'll expand uh, into your uh, field of view on your, on your device. Um, and so this makes it accessible to everybody. Right. Uh, museums, they often don't really do this right. because they want people to come to their museum and see them in person. It, it generates revenue and things like that. This is free, this exhibit. Anybody can come. And so to make it free online for people to not miss out on this experience, it was very important. And it, and it got done uh, just a few hours, finished, completed a few hours before the opening. <laughs> it really is special. That's armstronginstitute.org if you'd like to visit the exhibit. Speaking of Armstrong Institute, maybe you can give us the very latest on uh, what's going on with, uh, with our institute in mm-hmm. uh, Jerusalem. Yes, yeah, so we have representatives in Jerusalem at our own uh, Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology. Uh, one of the big jobs that they do is produce the magazine, Let the Stone Speak. Right. This comes out six times per year. It's available to anyone in the world for free. Uh, they can find out how to get that on the website. And this details and documents the latest in biblical archaeological discoveries, as well as biblical history. It's a wonderful package. We've got a growing audience uh, worldwide for this. We have. Um, about 600 Israeli subscribers as well to this magazine. One of the things we're working with right now is putting at least this magazine, this exhibit issue, into Hebrew. 
Um, we haven't done that yet, but we want to make this information uh, accessible to the Jewish people, uh, to Israelis, and so we're working with Israeli companies right now um, to put it into Hebrew, and that's, that's going to be a wonderful uh, opportunity for them, those that don't read uh, English, make it accessible to them because this doesn't exist. You'd think something like this would exist right. uh, in Israel, but it doesn't exist. And so to put it in everyday language, the archaeological discoveries in the Hebrew tongue, very important. Yeah. We also conduct excavations uh, continually, uh, once, once a year, perhaps a bit more coming up. Uh, these are excavations with Hebrew University as well. They're done under the academic auspices of Hebrew University. We work with Professor Uzi Liebner, the head of the archaeology department uh, at uh, Hebrew University. And we, have, we had excavations last summer in the Ophel area and another excavation We'll start a little bit later. Mm -hmm. I mean, we haven't talked about the war. I mean, it was featured at the beginning, but everything in Israel is kind of pushed back right. um, because of the ongoing war situation. So this next coming year, we'll be, we'll be excavating um, mid-August through till Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles time in, in October. Yeah. This exhibit issue, uh, by the way, has a, has a beautiful tribute to the late Dr. Alat Mazar. She died two years ago, I guess. Mm -hmm. 2021. 2021, okay, so almost three years ago. Um, maybe briefly you could just tell us about, we worked with her since 2006, tell us about the transition from, um, from her to the, the scholars, the professors that we're now working with uh, from Hebrew University. Yeah, it's a, it's a special relationship you had, I got to have with uh, Dr. Mazar for many, many years. Uh, and all of our students, you know, they'd go over there and they'd be treated so kindly and nicely from her, the scholar. But one great thing about her is she always valued the opinions of people in the field that are excavating. So that means the volunteers. What do you think is happening here? Mm -hmm. What can you tell me? She would come down twice a day into the field and, and try and get, it doesn't matter who you were, she was willing to listen to you for your opinion on what was happening, which is just a great sign of academic humility, I think, on the case of right. a world expert listening to a lowly digger. Um, so when, when she died, uh, we were very close, but we just didn't know how things were going to continue. However, she did well to set us up. She knew that she was approaching death. She talked to Professor Yosef Garfinkel, who was the head of the institute at uh, Hebrew University at the time. He was one of like a handful, maybe five or six people knew that she was dying. And she said, you know, I want you to continue my areas as the Hebrew University professor, because he's known to be right. really um, academically um, honest as well, and I want you to work with these people. You don't have to worry, she said, about you know, how to move forward because they can tell you, they can show you. Go to the site with them, they'll explain the areas. Right. So that's what he did. Yeah. Um, he came to us and, and we moved forward with him and we chose to excavate an area. Um, the area that was available is not from his period, so he moved us on to the next best person from, a, from, the, from the, time of, the time of Jesus, basically, um, Uzi Liebner. And so we've been working very closely with him. And, and it's, been, it's been really wonderful to see you know, her hand in this transition, but then to also to see how we've been warmly embraced right. by Professor, Professor Liebner. Dr. Arit Balik-Barkat works alongside uh, Professor Liebner as well, just embracing our students and wanting to move forward with us arm in arm uh, with these excavations of ancient Jerusalem. Yep, God's hand all the way right. through. Well, we might have gone a little bit over time, but it was worth it to give you the, the full story about the kingdom of David and Solomon discovered. If you can get to Edmond, Oklahoma, sometime over the next year, 
I think we have it through January of 2025. It'll be well worth it for you to visit the exhibit live and in person. If you can't make it, don't forget about the website, armstronginstitute.org. Brent was telling you about Let the Stones Speak. We make that available for free as well. So uh, you can get to any and all of this information at that website I just mentioned, or uh, more broadly, to just go to thetrumpet.com. Thank you for joining us on today's show. You're listening to Stephen Flurry and a little bit of Brent Noctegall. And uh, we're happy that you joined us, and we'll see you next time.